See you, Oliver. Well, today we're starting a new series through the letter of Paul to the church in Colossae, the Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start out by just reading the first eight verses here of that letter. So I'll give you a second here to get there if you want to open up. Okay, Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you, all, you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from uh, Epaphras, our, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told, you, told us of your love in the Spirit. Let me pray for us. So, Lord Jesus, this is your word to us as it was God-breathed through your Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul. And, Lord, this letter is full of who you are, Lord Jesus, and it is full especially of the good news of who you are, the gospel. And it has come to change us. It's bearing fruit throughout the world, as, as our brother Bob has already shared. May it continue to bear fruit, and may it do its work in us today as we look in to your word. So open the eyes of our heart and do your work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine for a moment that you lived about a thousand years ago, and you have a beloved child who with his family have moved to some remote place to do the work of the Lord. And your contact with them is few and far between. Because, you see, there's no internet. There's no phone to pick up. There's no mechanical thing to get you there. There are no airplanes. Messages get there through letters. And that goes on ships that are propelled by the air, by the wind, or the feet of people, or horseback. But even that is a little bit dicey and precarious when that happens. But over time, you find out that this beloved child of yours has had children, and you rejoice. And even more so, you find out that these children have grown and have put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And you are so excited. You're so, I mean, it's, it just 
makes you very happy to rejoice. But here's the truth. You're kind of assessing your own life situation, your age, and you're thinking, I will probably never meet these grandchildren of mine, even though I love them very much from a distance. And you want to impart something to them. You want to impart something to them about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you write them a letter. You write them a letter to help anchor them in their identity in Him and anchor them in who He is. And the profound changes that He brings to life. The profound changes He brings to everything. Now, back to today. We don't live in a world where we can't contact people. You know, even Bob was saying, hey, I'm, I'm preaching over the phone, generating a sermon to people thousands of miles away. You know, we have the internet, we've got phones, you can be on an airplane probably someplace in this world, you know, 24 to 36 hours, permitting that the government will let you, let you through. But even today, 2,000 years plus later, Jesus still changes everything. And this is what we're going to see in this letter from Paul to the Colossians in this new series. As he pens a letter to a group who I would call his spiritual grandchildren, if you will. Just a few background things to know about Colossae. It's an inland metropolitan city in Asia Minor, okay, which is modern-day Turkey. It's in the Phrygian region. And if you were with us through our, our sermon series through the seven churches of Asia Minor, it's located to the church of Laodicea, 10 miles east of it. It's southeast of another city called Hierapolis. And we'll actually meet those, hear about those cities here in this letter. But this was a church plant, not by Paul, by a man named Epaphras, who was a local Colossian person, an associate of Paul's, but he probably came to faith when Paul was in his ministry in Ephesus, which is 110 miles to the west of them. And eventually, as you know, Epaphras kind of got equipped and wanted to spread the good news, he came back to Colossae and shared the good news with the people there. Paul himself, as I said, is in prison. He'll probably never get there, nor will Timothy. And uh, you can read about that. He's in prison in, in chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. He knows, again, that he probably will never set, there, set foot there, but he has a tremendous interest in what's going on there in Colossae. And so he writes this letter. He wants to impart something to this young church. And remember, this is about uh, 62 A.D. or so, you know, and and you know the church had only been around for about 30 years. So he wants to impart this because he's not sure he'll ever get he'll set foot in Colossae. Here's the question I, I ask you, especially you Bereans who've been looking into this word maybe over and over again. What's the book of Colossians about? What's it about? Because, you know, you look at some of Paul's other letters, Galatians, it's, you know, living under the Spirit rather than under the law. 
Philippians, it's about joy despite the circumstances. First Corinthians, it's about a church that's really messy, but the grace that, of God that prevails there. Philemon, it's about a runaway slave who comes to Christ and then is sent back to his Christian master and what's going to happen there. But with Colossians, it's not quite so clear, not so evident. And Paul will address false teaching there in chapter 2, a group we call the Gnostics. We'll, we'll get there eventually. But that's just one facet. As I've been reading through this letter, I think the message is how the gospel, that is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes and impacts everything. And as we look at this letter, we're going to see how it changes things in relation to a holy God. It's going to change things in our identity, who we are. It changes things for eternity. It changes things as far as how do we interact with the philosophies and religions of this world. It changes things in what we're living for. It changes things in relationship to other cultures, because this is a multicultural church. And it changes things in family relations. How do we relate to, to each other as husband and wife, uh, parents and children, boss to, to servants? But all around, Paul wants to ground them deeply in this good news that's ultimately about a good God who sent his son to make us his own. So the first thing I want to point to is that this good news, it changes our identity. And it starts with the messenger himself. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul introduces himself as Christ's sent one. That's what the word apostle means. But that was not always the truth about who Paul was. In fact, he went by another name at one point, Paul of Tarsus. So this is a change of an identity from self-purposed to God's purpose. See, as Saul of Tarsus, he was this fervent Pharisee and ferocious enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went around arresting Christians, putting them in jail. But Jesus changes him to an eyewitness of the risen Christ. In fact, Jesus arrests him, so to speak. If you read about that in Acts chapter 9, he knocks him off the horse and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It's me, Jesus. Oh, oops. But he changes him and gives him a mission to take his good news to the Gentile world because Paul's been equipped for that. He's been equipped for that. He's been repurposed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jewish Messiah that sent has come to bring reconciliation between God and a sinful world. Let me ask you this. Do you have a sense that God has repurposed you and your identity? When you were a little kid, what did you think you were going to be doing? If you're a little boy, maybe you're going to be a cowboy or a fireman or whatever, baseball player, I don't know. But then, you know, life kind of went along. You know what I was going to be? I was going to be an actor. That's what I was trained in in college. And then God stepped in and said, no, Nathan, I have other purposes for you. 
of other things for you. And along the way, he made me a minister of the gospel. I don't know what Bob was going to be. I think a teacher at one point. And God got a hold of him and changed his direction, repurposed him. Here's here's the thing I want you to, to realize. That you, if you're in Christ, you are his sent one. In your place of work, in your neighborhood, in the places that you recreate, maybe at the, the gym or whatever, you are his sent one. And he wants to use you. He has called you to himself to repurpose you, to use you. The second thing I want you to look at is from a sinner to the saints. To a saint. Look at verse 2. This letter is to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. That word, holy people, as it's written in the NIV, is the word we translate as saint. Now that's a problematic word for us, because sometimes we think of a saint as somebody who does all these great deeds and you know, has a great resume, kind of, kind of attributed that to Mother Teresa or what have you. But that's not the biblical definition of a saint. Notice he says, God's holy people who are in Colossae, who are in Christ. Geographically, yeah, you're in Colossae. But spiritually, you are in Christ. He is the one who has set you apart. And if you are in Christ, here is the amazing thing. This is the good news. That God views you just like he views the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. God the Father views you just like he views the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is amazing. And that is a whole new identity. Do you think of yourself as a saint? If you're in Christ, if you put your faith in him, you're following him, do you think of yourself as a saint? And if you do not, I'm going to give you a little pushback because you're thinking, oh, I'm just not good enough. I'm not living well enough not doing enough good deeds. Here's the thing I want you to know. Here's the good news. The good news is it's not about your righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness. Are you in Christ? And if you don't view yourself as a saint, then you're putting your faith in something else besides Him. You're putting your faith in something else besides Him for your right standing before a holy God. He is the one who makes you a saint. The next transformation in your identity, or the change in your identity, is from foreigners to family. He says in the second half of verse 2, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And then back to verse 1 for a second, of his protege, Timothy, says, Timothy, our brother. He's my brother, and he's your brother. Colossians, even though you've never met him. We are family. Those who are in Christ are family, even though you have never met each other, even though you have different backgrounds. That's the amazing thing. If you're in Christ, you're all part of one family. I'm going to tell you, Bob and I have different backgrounds. I grew up in Oakland, California, you know, spent my 
my years in, in, at Davis, and then, in, and then in Santa Barbara, and then to Chicago, my life was totally different. Bob's is totally different coming from Africa. But we're in Christ, therefore we're brothers. The folks at Meg, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Even though we may never meet them, we are in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are family. And that's what changes. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But Paul's going to say in chapter 3, verse 11, in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, uncircumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, from foreigners to family. The next transition in ID is from children that are cut off to children of God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Paul reminds them that at one point in their previous life, they were pagan Gentiles and they had no inkling about what it meant to be part or children of the living God. But then they met Christ. And what has been imparted to them is grace and peace. And when Paul says grace and peace, some people say, oh, that's just Paul saying hi. No, it's not. He is infusing his greeting with the truth of the gospel. That if you are in Christ, you are experiencing God's grace. That is his unmerited favor. And that you are experiencing his peace. That is, you're reconciled to a living God. To a holy God. And ultimately, you have you are, God is now your Father. An all-new identification. Not just because He made you, but because He has redeemed you in Christ Jesus. He gave His Son for you so you could be His child. That is good news. That changes everything. Do you think of God as your Father? Do you think about that? That is something that you need to ground yourself in deeply. God is my Father. And that changes everything about where you're going and how you should live your life. And it is also a reason for thanksgiving. And this is where Paul just rejoices in this. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. It is good news that changes us from the inside out. There are three things that Paul lists here. Faith, love, and hope. Faith we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That is God's promised Messiah to bless all nations. The God-man who came and dwelt among us. Who has risen from the dead. And Paul is going to dive into his identity deeply here a little bit later in this chapter. But this faith gives us confidence. It gives us confidence because of what he has done. Not because what you or I have done, or not done. You see, that faith is not focused in ourselves, in our wealth, in technology, in the government. It's in Him. And we can have confidence because He never changes. 
And when you know that, when you know that, you lean into that, that brings you great joy. And it also brings you great joy when it happens to somebody else. Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice when you hear that somebody or some group has put their faith in Christ? Does it bring you joy? It really should. Because it has changed their lives, it has changed their destiny, and it's changing what they're going to live for. And they're going to find great joy in Christ. It should really bring us joy. But it also should bring us joy and cause us to rejoice that we are in Christ. That God has allowed us to see the light of his gospel. And I don't understand the mystery of election, but God has chosen us. That is an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing. But to rejoice in that. Number two, changing us from the inside out starts with love. Love you have for all God's people or the saints. In this new identity that's brought about, a new affection, a new unity for those who are in Christ who might have been previously estranged by ethnic differences, nationality, by social differences, by religious differences. But all of a sudden you have love for people who are in Christ who were different from you beforehand. And it's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you. At verse 8, the report from Epaphras talking about the Colossians, he says, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. That is the beautiful thing about the gospel. All are invited. There's no one who's excluded. And we need the Holy Spirit to remind us of the cross, that we all stand in equal need before a holy God, and that we're called to love one another. Jesus says, look, people will know that you're my disciples and that you have love for one another, as he said in John 13, 35. But how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Because it's easy to talk about it. I can look up all sorts of verses about it. But when the push comes to shove, how are we doing with with really loving each other? Because I'm going to tell you a secret. Not all Christians are lovable. Some of them are a little bit prickly. And some of our differences divide us. And it will take the work of the Holy Spirit for us to love each other. That's what it's going to take. And did you know that the first fruit of the Spirit is love? The first fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not just my natural affinity to somebody. It is the Holy Spirit at work in me to love my brother or sister because on a natural level, we don't connect so much. We might even annoy each other. But if I'm not looking to myself, I'm looking to the Holy Spirit. It gives me grace to love. And Grandpa Paul will flesh this out a little bit later in chapter 3. But when you find yourself in that moment where you kind of go, 
I really don't connect with that person. Or I honestly don't even like that person. But I know they're in Christ. Who do you look to? Do you look to kind of pull your, your bootstraps up and say, okay, I'm going to love this person? Or do you say, God, I, I need you to do something in me. I need you to change my heart. I need you to help me to see them with eyes that you have for him or her. And that is fruit of the Spirit. That's a beautiful thing. And last of all, hope. Hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. You know, the message of the gospel has always been that this is not all there is. This life, this earth, this existence is not all there is. God is taking history someplace. And it's going to come to an end. And if we're not in Christ, we're going to face judgment. But if we're in Christ, it's a place of unperishing inheritance. As the Apostle Peter would say, an inheritance kept for you that can never perish, spoil, or fade, as he says in his first epistle in chapter 1, verse 4. It's a place of full, full restoration where things are right or set right that are not right. A new heaven and a new earth, as Revelation 21 talks about. A place of full revelation where the things that we don't know well, the things that are mysteries about God and Christ will be fully revealed to us. As the Apostle Paul says in his 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about then knowing, seeing Him face to face and knowing as he, we are fully known. And it breaks the huge cosmic worldview that the pagans have. That history is just this cycle of repeating cycles over and over and over again that's just frustrating and going nowhere. No, history is going someplace. And it helps us who are in Christ to know that we're living for something greater than this earth. Because life is not fair. Folks, and, and I've told you this before, but we have it really good. But there are folks in other countries that don't have it so good. But this, the same truth is true for them. This life is not all there is. And that's how God is fully fully just within that. This life is not all this. So it helps us when things go awry, when things are unjust, when things are tragic, that God is not done. He's not done and He will have the last word. The question is, where is your hope? Is it in this world? Is it in things of this world? Or is it ultimately in Jesus Christ? and what He has in store for you. And because of that, knowing that, are you allowing that to change you? And what you're living for? And what you're pursuing? And what you're spending your time, your money, your energy in? Yeah, you have a hope. Has it gone from your head to your heart? And how you live your life? Allowing it to change you. But it's not just pie in the sky by and by. Because the good news has come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and He entered history. And it's changing the world. Good news that changes the world. Second half of verse 6. In the same way, 
The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul to the Colossians, you guys, I'm so glad that you're in Christ. I rejoice. I thank God. But I want to tell you, you're part of something bigger than just what's happening in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis in Asia Minor. It's happening throughout the whole world. The gospel is going forward in Jerusalem, in Rome, in Ephesus, in, in Athens, in all the other world cities. It, and that's just what Paul has influence on. There, there are other apostles who are bringing this message that is changing everything. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, in Haiti, in Cuba, in the Mideast, in the Ukraine, in Rochester. The gospel is going forward, it's bearing fruit, and it is growing. Whether we know it or not, whether we're participating in it or not. The, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you are part of something bigger than yourself. Bigger than what's happening here locally. You're part of an amazing world movement. And that's why we support missions. That's what we talked about last week. That's why some of our money goes that way. Because we believe that God has a promise that He wants to bless all nations through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the fulfillment of His promise to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 that through your seed I will bless all nations. Jesus is that seed that blesses all nations. And it's bearing fruit. It should give us great hope. But it also reminds us of this, folks. That our faith is not a passive faith. We've been given a great commission to take to a world that needs Jesus desperately. Desperately. It is an active faith. It needs to be proclaimed. And the eternal results will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that will be bowing before His throne. Do you have a sense of awe that you are part of something bigger than yourself, bigger than what God is doing here? And he is doing things here, and I, I rejoice in that. But it's so much bigger than Rochester, Minnesota, the United States. Last of all, this is good news that changes who it's all about. Verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who, is also, who also told us of your beloved excuse me, of your love in the Spirit. When Paul talks to the Colossians about, or is telling them how the gospel came to them, his focus is not upon himself as the apostle, you know, of, of, to the Gentiles. And when he talks about Epaphras, he doesn't look to him as this underling that's under him in Timothy. He talks to them rather as being a dear fellow servant. Literally a dear fellow slave. It's a, it's a contracted word. means a slave together of Christ. This, this message came to you because Epaphras is Jesus' slave, his servant. And he, can, he compounds it calling him a, a faithful minister of Christ. That's where we get the word deacon. A table servant. 
He is bringing this message because He is His faithful servant, His faithful table servant. And then it says, on our behalf in the NIV. I don't normally make uh, textual criticism comments here from the pulpit, but here's what I want you to know. In the Greek, this word could either read, on behalf of you, that is the Colossians, or on behalf of us. It's a textual variant, and it's only the only differentiation in the word is one letter. One letter at the very beginning, which could be an eta or a um, <laughs> upsilon. I, I, know, I, I don't want to explain it, but the difference between you and us. And the, the, the textual sources, it's 50-50. It could go either way. I think it's on behalf of you. I think the NIV is wrong, but I think the KJV and I think the ESV are correct on this one. But like I said, it go either way. But that's not my point. My point being is that Paul is not looking to make this, this gospel coming to them, them about himself or about Epaphras. It's about Christ, and this is how it got here. I sent my servant. I sent my slave to bring this gospel to you. I don't know who told you about the gospel. It might have been your parents. It might have been a youth group worker. It might have been a total stranger. But God is saying, I sent my servant to you that you might hear this gospel. Because you know what? I hate to say it, but I think, and this has been true forever, but it's really pronounced these days. We live in a culture right now that is under the cult, the cult of me. It's all about ourselves. And Paul is <laughs> trying to say, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. It's about Christ and what He has done. And as, as the pastor right now, in this moment, I want to tell you, this is not my church, folks. It is Jesus' church. I get to serve Him here for a season. I don't know how long that season is. But it's my church. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And second of all, you in this congregation, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you feel like you own this place as far as your church family. But it's not about you either. It's not your church. You're not, we're not, not trying to satisfy you. We're trying to satisfy Christ. We're trying to make Him the center. And we want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that may at moments be difficult. Because you may be fighting with something in your own heart that is contrary to Christ and what He's revealed. But it's about Him. It's about worshiping Him in spirit and truth. We call it pursuing God here at Berean. It's about making His disciples. People that are going to follow Him and carry that message to the world. That's what we call Preparing people. And about making His good news known. It's what we call proclaiming Christ. And we're doing it together as a body. But that person about who this is good news, it changes everything. It should change everything. And as we get saturated with Him through this letter, we're going to see that more and more. It's, it should affect every area of our lives because of who He is and what He has done 
and because we are in Him. So that's where I'm going to stop today. That's where I'm going to stop today. But it is our custom here at Berean to be intentional, to remember what Christ has done. That He was God before time, and that He allowed Himself to be born, to live this life perfectly before His Heavenly Father, to go to the cross and pay the debt that we could not pay before a holy God, and then to rise from the dead and conquer a foe we could not conquer. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month when we can. And let me tell you here at Berean, we practice open communion. That means if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome at this table because it's He who invites you here. It's not me. It's not our table. It's not the Berean community church's table. It's His table. And He welcomes you here. And if you're, if you're searching and you're, you're not quite sure that you're in Christ, just let the elements pass by. Because you might be saying something that's not true of you yet. And no one's going to think anything negative of you. But we also come to this table, this celebration, thoughtfully. Remembering that He had to come because of our sin. And we want to we're still wrestling with that, even though we're saints. And so we take this time and take the instruction of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11. When he talks about this celebration, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man or woman ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink the bread and, and, eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. For just a few minutes, joy is going to play softly in the background. And I'm going to ask you to, in your heart, just say, Lord, search my heart. Show me where I'm out of sorts with you. And if he brings anything up, we'll take him up on his promise. That if we confess our sin, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then we'll continue in this celebration of what God has graciously done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just take a few minutes here and let the Lord search our hearts.